Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. What a difference a day makes this time we were waking up yesterday morning practically sweating. This morning, if you haven't been out, substantially cooler, not unpleasantly cool. I don't know. I've still got shorts and a T-shirt on today, but uh, put on a jacket over that, mainly because of the cool, kind of chilly wind out there. It is really a beautiful fall day, though. I mean, this is just, this is kind of weather we ought to be having in uh, November. Just a good temperature to get out and get things done. It'll be nice when the wind dies down a little bit later today, but boy, what a gorgeous, glorious day it is out there. Hope you're planking plans to get stuff done in the garden, maybe get some flowers planted to make your place look absolutely gorgeous by Thanksgiving. You know, there's just so many things to do and so many things to talk about, and that's what we are here to talk about. <laughs> All the lines have been full for 10 minutes, so if you've been getting a busy signal, uh, just hang on uh, for a couple of minutes and we'll have a line open that you can grab. We're going to talk to Doug and Bill and Teresa and John, and uh, let's just get started with phone calls. Doug is up first. Good morning, Doug. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm good this morning. It's a beautiful fall morning out there. Yeah, uh, up above Kerrville, 53 degrees right now. It's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> we just need some rain, but other than that, it just yep. couldn't be much nicer. Yes, I call in time to time about this oak wilt that uh, I battle. I uh, have six and a half acres and probably 150 trees that I need to protect. Yes, sir. Um, uh, I put the buckets out, fill them with, I put a cup of cornmeal in, and I kind of put them, put them around the clump of trees I'm going to treat, fill them with water. Yes, well, the cows and hogs have caught on, and they think I'm um, giving them drinks and, and, you know, maybe a little sour mash or something. I don't know. But, so I, I want to – I have a tractor, and I want to put one of those carry-alls and in, in, in a pallet and maybe an IBC tote and maybe make it up in mass. It, but I don't think the cornmeal itself would flow through that. It would probably get stuck in that two-inch – um, uh, outlet at the bottom. The two-inch outlet should handle the cornmeal, but the, the cornmeal does not have to go at all. If you're concerned okay. about it, uh, I, I mean, it would definitely cause a problem if you're trying to run it through a sprayer. But the easy way to right. avoid any clogging is simply uh, run by your nearest paint store and get a handful of paint strainer bags, which are pennies apiece, and just put your cornmeal in there and uh, uh, let it soak for the requisite time. And then you just pull the bag out and, you know, either dump it out or throw it out or whatever else. And that way you have very little particulate matter, you know, in your liquid and uh that just makes it so much easier it doesn't reduce the efficiency at all okay well it's been probably i'll do that i was thinking you know put it in a cheesecloth and i could still throw it around the tree too after that oh Um, absolutely absolutely cheesecloth will work but a paint strainer's bag will work better and like i say those things are literally pennies a piece at a paint store 
Okay, I'll, I'll do that. Um, are there any new uh, revelations on how to treat uh, other than, I mean, I was just doing the cup to 12 ounces of cornmeal, leave it for a day or two, and then dump it out around the root flare. And- actually, uh, actually, about two cups per five-gallon bucket. And okay. um, that uh, it it we're just learning more and more about this uh, process that we refer to as systemic induced resistance, and how much resistance it imparts to trees, not only to oak wilt but to other things. And uh, I can't say we've really learned anything new, but things we suspected have become verified and much better documented over time, much to the chagrin of all these guys that want to sell you propicanazole that $400, $600, $800 a tree to put it in that really doesn't stop right. it from spreading. So uh, uh, the news is all good, have not heard you know, there are not any new strains that are resistant to what the trichoderma does. It's just a matter of staying out ahead of it. And in a situation like yours where you have so many trees, I would concentrate, unless you have oak wilt all around you, if let's say your neighbor to the I east do. is one that has the oak wilt, you know, you can I concentrate. Have. I'm sorry? I have it. You have it, don't I you? I have oak wilt. Well, remember Everybody it Everybody has it up here. Yeah. Remember, it moves through the roots of the trees, and if you have an area that is, you know, without symptoms, that is oak wilt free, concentrate on the closest area that has the symptoms to those trees and try to head it off before it spreads into that area. Uh, that's okay. that's the difference, really, in the chemical treatment. Chemical treatment works from the ground up and does absolutely nothing to keep it from spreading from tree to tree through the root system. The trichoderma created uh, or stimulated by the cornmeal actually stop the disease in its tracks and it no longer spreads. So I think you're doing the best possible thing you can do. And every two to three months? Uh, in an active oak wilt situation, yes. For somebody that's just trying to prevent, probably once a year is enough. But uh, when you're in a real epicenter of, uh, of oak wilt, uh, and it always gets worse when we move into severe drought. Because, of course, what oak wilt does, it plug, plugs up the vessels called xylem that move the water in the tree and when we get into a real bad drought situation there's less water to move to begin with so it doesn't really surprise me that uh, we have a lot more oak wilt showing up in the past six or eight months because it's always going to happen uh, you know when when it gets as dry as it is so do your best to stay out in front of it and in the meantime pray for rain because that'll sure slow things down I will, and I appreciate your help on this. I've been battling it for a, a while, and uh, I haven't lost anything. I'm treating hard, um, yeah. but uh, no, since I retired two months ago, I can really kick into gear now. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you, and uh, I'll bet you got a lot of dead trees on surrounding properties where people aren't doing anything. Well, and I when I bought this, there was uh, we've cut out 80, and and I lost a few more since then, so. Uh, it's a it's a big battle here. It is a big battle. We'll keep up the good work and call anytime we can help. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Doug. Thank you, sir. Bill's up next. Uh, good morning, Bill. Yes, Bob. Good morning. This is Bill and Bobby. We had a quick <laughs> Good morning, Bobby. I was going to say, Bill's <laughs> voice has certainly changed. <laughs> He's right here. How are you this morning? Good, thank you. We had a quick question about moving a viburnum. 
They're uh-huh. about four feet tall and okay. about three and a half feet wide. Is that safe, or do you have any suggestions? How long have they been planted? Probably quite a while. We just okay. moved here, and they're already here. And, and where uh, is where is here? Where approximately do you live? Oh, in Sugarland. Oh, okay, yeah. No, the, you're you're in good shape over there. Uh, the reason I ask is because if you know, you told me you were in Fair Oaks, north of San Antonio, or something. There, where the soil, the rock is so close to the surface, the root, the plants have to put their roots much, much further just to exist and stay alive. And so, when you dig the same size root ball that you're going to dig, a person in the hill country might get no five or ten percent of the roots of the plants and the chance for survival would not be good where you're in deeper soil those plants didn't have to extend the roots out nearly as far you dig the same size root ball you're probably going to get 60 70 percent of the roots of the plant and uh, your chances are very good and we're moving into the best time of year to do the transplanting just remember all the usual rules have your new holes dug move them immediately uh, water them in with some super thrive garret juice something like that and uh Okay. I'll give you a very high chance of success. Are these viburnums uh, sandanquas, or do you know which one of the viburnums I, they I are? I have no idea. They're really, okay. really healthy looking, but I have no idea. Um, do we need to add any good dirt into the hole? No. It, this is no. not the greatest. Yeah, okay. no, I, I would not worry water? about uh, you'll definitely need to water regularly and uh, okay. even more often just grab your hose and spray up and down the over the foliage of the plant because it will absorb a great deal of moisture directly through the leaves and the soft bark while they're getting the roots reestablished. Now, if you want to throw a little uh, you know, organic fertilizer, uh, Medina or Nature's Creation or whatever in the bottom of the hole, that yeah. would be just fine. But we don't want to improve that soil too much or the plants have no incentive to move the roots out into the surrounding soil. They just, oh, right. you know, it's real comfortable right here close to where the, you know, to the root ball. And so, you know, we're just going to put all the roots right here. We're not going to move out into this lousier soil around us. So that's why we very seldom add anything. Now, it's good to put some mulch on the surface surface. It's good to dig a square hole rather than a round hole because those roots there won't just keep circling. They'll hit the corners and, you know, move into the surrounding soil. But uh, no, you don't want to overdo it in trying to improve that soil. That actually will lead to more problems long term. Just a little bit of organic fertilizer is all I put in the hole. That's great. We also have some more in the front, which are a little bit too tall. How much Uh can we trim them down? It's not really how much, it's how much of the foliage can you take off. We try to never take off more than about 40% of the leaves at any one time. And in some okay. cases, you may be able to cut them way back without taking off more than that. In some cases, you almost have to do it in two steps. Uh, I use, for example, when I moved up full-time to uh, my ranch, there were boxwoods that were eight feet tall in front of the house that had probably been there for 80 years. And if I had cut them down to the height I wanted, they would have had no foliage and they probably wouldn't survive. So I went through and selectively took about half of the tall limbs and cut them back down to where I wanted. And then once they started putting on new foliage, once they started coming out down at that height, I went back through and cut the other half off. And with that two-step process, I got them back down to a nice four-foot hedge. Makes sense? Yes, sir. And we also planted some St. Augustine sod real quickly. Is there anything, um, should we we fertilize it with something? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Put some organic fertilizer on there. And this time of year, fall is the season when brown patch becomes so prevalent. I would suggest putting out a little bit of whole ground cornmeal prophylactically just to head off any potential brown patch problems. But yes, you know, old chemical fertilizer days, we had to wait six weeks to feed. But lots of times I tell people, put down the organic fertilizer before you even plant your sod because there's no reason to wait. There's no stress. There's no, uh, none, none of the problems that are created by the synthetic fertilizer. So you, uh, you fertilize. Go, going green or, or who do you suggest? Grow, growing green is just fine. Oh, green's a very good product. Perfect. And just keep it watered, right? And just keep it keep it watered on your usual schedule. You'll have to water a little more often uh, because you typically don't cool off as much as we do in the hill country. But uh, the only only thing I would back up on here is your, your viburnums and things out front that you want to trim. Wait another wait till Thanksgiving to do it because we've stayed so warm this fall. I worry that things will then try to burst right back out into new growth. We would love for them to cool down to at least get the idea they need to slow down for the winter before we prune them so we don't stimulate a bunch of new growth. So uh, you're off the hook as far as pruning for about another three or four weeks, but uh, get your transplanting done whenever it's convenient for you. We sure thank you so much for all your help, and you're always so kind and helpful. Thank you. Well, so much, it's always Bobby. a pleasure, Bobby. And uh, you guys have a great uh, a great weekend. And if I don't talk to you for then, a happy Thanksgiving. Thank Thanks, you. Bob. Thank you guys so very much. All right, let's see here. Yeah, I better take a quick break here. Teresa and John will be the next two callers. I get to talk about somebody else that I just love and respect so much, and that is Rhonda, Rhonda Boner, Rhonda's Nature's Way, long, long time friend. And uh, let me tell you what, I just, Rhonda has done so much to improve the lives of so many people over the years, including me. <laughs> I, I thank her for all the things I've learned about maintaining good health and keeping your immune system healthy and things. And, you know, I'm always telling you about her wonderful vitamins and supplements, but I'll tell you this morning, I had some of her good granola, hemp-based product, 100% organic. Uh, let me tell you, you're also going to find some good things to eat over at Rhonda's that will totally comply with your diet plans, whatever you're doing, things that are organic organic things that are tasty and good and also you know I always love talking about things like the red light therapy the medical community has fully accepted the healing benefits of both red light and beamer light therapies well they practice those therapies at both of the Rhonda's Nature's Way stores and at the Northside store they do she does reflexology and let me tell you that is one of the most amazing experiences I have ever had tell you what as soon as things slow down for me just a little bit I'll be going back for more of that because you just you walk out feeling like you're just walking on air. If you've ever had a good reflexology session, you know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, let me tell you, you don't know what you're missing. You need to give it a try over at Rhonda's. And of course, beyond that, she does have everything you're looking for in quality vitamins and supplements and the knowledge to help you improve your life. Closed on Sundays every week, but the other six days, they're open. Both locations, south side over on Southwest Military, north side out there at the corner of I-10 in Callahan, and that shopping center, kind of across from Sprouts over there. It's Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right. Well, if you've been getting a busy signal, there is a line open now, so you know know the number to dial, 210-599-5555. And we're going to talk to Teresa next. Good morning, Teresa. 
Good morning, Bob. Thank you for Good taking morning. my call. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, a short one. Well, I think it's short. I have the the oak tree, and it's a live oak, and the back of the leaves when they fall down. There's some little balls that are in the back don't, of the leaves. Don't worry about those at all. They are a little gall caused by a little tiny wasp. They are totally harmless and nothing to be concerned about. Okay. Uh, caused by a wasp. Yeah, okay. it's, it's called a sinipid uh, wasp. It's a little tiny creature, non-stinging, and... Uh, it just, uh, you know, it's it's part of their life cycle, the reproductive cycle, and it doesn't harm the tree in any way. Those little balls start out sort of greenish color, and then as we get into the fall, they turn red. Eventually, they fall, br- they turn brown, and just come off with the leaves. But uh, do not be concerned; they're not harming your tree in the least. Okay, and um, previously, I haven't seen them lately. Um, there ants that go up this oak tree uh-huh. so I, I know my husband has put uh, ant powder but uh-huh. I don't know uh, is that anything else we should be doing no we probably tree? my suspicion is that what you're looking at what we call carpenter ants or you know their body sort of combination of red and black and they do not kill wood they live they make colonies in wood that is already dead and every tree has some dead wood in it and you know technically the the wood that's in the center of an oak tree the cells have no nuclei and uh, so you probably have a little colony of them making a nest up there somewhere but once again it's no danger to your tree and uh, I certainly wouldn't be concerned about it it's a pretty normal thing when you have a mature tree Okay, thank you. Uh, The other um, major question has to do with my lemon tree. It's over 10 years old. I have it in the ground. And uh, this year, well, my it's a Myers lemon. Uh Um, I guess with the rain and I didn't water enough, they're not, you know, big and full like they were in previous years. (laughs) Nobody's are. um, Okay, I'm not the only one. No, you're not the only one. And if you have if you have a good crop of lemons, you're ahead of some folks. But uh, it's it's just a little reminder to maintain you know the good care of the feeding and the watering. But in all honesty, when it gets as hot as it is as it has been, the trees just use so much energy to survive that even under the very best of conditions, most of them would have had smaller lemons this year anyway. If we had been gifted with you know a nice wet summer and things like that yeah you'd be looking at lemons the size of oranges but it didn't happen it doesn't look like it's likely to start raining again in the near future so uh the i guess if there's any good side to it the the juice tends to be maybe even sweeter and maybe even seem a little more concentrated a little bit stronger so uh uh you're just looking at a year when mother nature wasn't as kind to us from a lemon standpoint and uh Okay. Uh, not, again, uh, nothing you need to do or change except just remember that when you water, water very thoroughly and then water again whenever the soil's dry about a knuckle deep. I don't, I don't, you know, these, these mechanical moisture meters are the biggest waste of time in the world. Believe it or not, they actually measure salt, measure what they call electroconductivity in the soil and sometimes can give you very inaccurate readings. So just use that old index finger when it's dry about a knuckle deep, it's time to water them thoroughly again. And 
you'll be doing the best you can. And uh, like I say, it's it's as much environmental as anything else that the lemons are, lemons are smaller this year. And uh, I'm just glad you've got a good crop. Some people didn't get a very good crop this year. Well, some of my lemons have um, split and uh, they've gone bad where I've yeah. lost at least a dozen already. And uh, previously, a couple of months ago, I put cornmeal around the base of the tree. Uh-huh. And then I've uh, put um, mulch, you know, the mulch around the the base of the tree also. So I'm trying to keep it watered. But I didn't know some of the leaves I see have little white stuff or in some cases yeah. there's little black yeah. stuff in the back of the leaves. Their, their leaf miners are very common this year. And what happens when we have a, a really dry year? Uh, the lemon, the skin on the lemon toughens. And then when we get a nice big rain, it's kind of like a, you know, a lizard or snake shedding their skin. You get all this moisture, the lemon tries to swell up, and that skin is no longer stretchy. So what does it do? It splits. And okay. then uh, if you see that happening, you need to harvest those lemons right away, juice them, even if they're not totally ripe, the juice will still be good in them, and that way you'll be able to enjoy them before they do go bad. But once they split, they're not going to last for very long. But that no, splitting is yeah. just what happens. Same thing happens to tomatoes. That skin toughens when they get when it gets dry, and then you get a sudden big burst of good rainwater. Or rainwater is, is more of a culprit than uh, than our you know well water is. But we had like a good rain back in September, and that just makes those lemons want to fill up with juice and it's just kind of like a balloon that got blown up with too much air it just pops on you so uh, okay. once again totally right. normal and not a sign that you're neglecting anything okay well thank you very much for answering my call it's always a pleasure you get out and have a okay. good sunday Teresa. and i'll move on Teresa. and talk to john good morning john Good morning, Bob. Boy, it's going to be a great day to work in the garden uh, while listening to the garden show. Well, I appreciate that. It's it's certainly a very comfortable temperature. You will not sweat nearly as much as you did yesterday. No, sir. Hey, several issues this morning. First of all, I've heard you talk about watering strategies here in the last couple weeks, that it may Mm -hmm. be more effective watering at the base of a tree versus covering the drip line. I was wondering if... uh, fertilization if that would apply in the same way as the watering great question and the answer is no it seems that the very fine feeding roots that are way out toward the drip line that's where a great deal of the nutrient material is taken up so it is important to pretty much cover the entire area with your fertilizer but for whatever reason, the the majority of the water, at least a lot of the water, gets taken up much closer to the trunk uh, than we realize. Now, it does take up some additional things. Uh, very good because, you know, we're all concerned about protecting our trees from oak wilt, and we've learned so much about this uh this thing we call systemic induced resistance that we can create with cornmeal to make the trees resistant to oak wilt and we're finding that the trees take that material up again pretty close to the trunk of the tree but fertilizer it's still what we've always thought it was and that's out out to and even a bit beyond the drip line of the tree okay very well uh heard you mention perlite is is a uh, sterile material Correct. Coming out of the bags. Now, so does that mean it can't be used more than once, or can you use perlite more than once for, for rooting cuttings? Again, great question. Um, 
if if you leave things, uh, you know, if you do it properly, you can use the perlite, you know, two or three times before you need to do something different. Um, if you get a little sloppy and, you know, leave, because when you take your cuttings, you're always going to have a few leaves yellow and, you know, drop. And if you don't keep that area where you're rooting your cuttings fairly clean, then you probably should do something in between putting batches of cuttings in. I usually, on average, I'll probably run about three batches of cuttings through it, but then you don't throw it away. You know, what we're concerned about is the different bacterium fun fungi that would work at decomposing your cuttings before they took root and we can get rid of those totally by sticking that perlite in the oven at say 400 degrees for 20 or 30 minutes and remember that perlite got heated up to about 6,000 degrees to pop it like popcorn when it was rooted. It's mined as an ore and then heated and like say it literally pops like popcorn to make the material that we use and uh, you know perlite was not developed for the horticulture industry it was developed to make lightweight concrete they just started substituting perlite for sand and that's how you get those stairs that you see around uh, manufactured housing and things like that they just don't weigh a lot your air conditioner pad doesn't weigh a third as much as it did uh, 30 years ago but we've just discovered that it's a sterile material that works real well for rooting so we can bake it in the oven at a very high temperature it's not going to it's not going to explode or do anything else. It's already been there. And so that way, until you get just a huge amount of organic material built up in it, you can reuse it over and over. Now, it's cheap enough that a lot of people, uh, you know, with with really... Oh, if you're rooting things like begonias and African violets and real soft stem stuff that uh, is more susceptible to problems, some people will use fresh perlite, but it's really not necessary. Through uh, heat treatment, you can reuse perlite many times before you need to replace it. Okay, very well. Last uh, question would be uh, concerning my peach tree. Could you offer some strategies as far as pruning is concerned? How old, how long the tree's been in the ground? Uh... Two and a half years, it probably stands 10, 12 feet tall now, uh, maybe two, three inches at, you know, at the trunk across. Okay. Well, we we prune the first year that the tree is in the ground. That's that's when we want to kind of get the shape of that tree started. We would like for it to be branched fairly low. We would like to have three or four branches radiating out like the spokes of a wheel. And that's that's what we do to a peach tree when it is very young, when we're just first getting it started growing. We want it to grow the shape we want. Beyond that, we maintain the vigor of the tree and we encourage peach production by thinning it out. Uh, now, you may want to take out some of those limbs that are too high to reach, or you may want to leave them and hope that the birds will concentrate their energies up there. But the important thing that we do on an annual basis with peach trees and plum trees is we go through and literally thin them out. If you went along one of the branches of the tree, and let's say it's got 15 little side shoots coming out, we're going to take off about half of those. We want to reduce that budwood or 
earlier that uh, that fruiting would, we want to reduce it by about 50% to encourage better fruit set and to encourage the fruit that sets to get larger. So after that first year, more of what we do on a peach is thinning than really truly pruning the tree. But if yours didn't get that early start getting, you know, imagine we, we want to create a tree that's shaped like a martini glass. Uh, we want to have the fruit low enough to pick. We want to have open center to the tree so that the light gets through the entire tree very well. So you can do a little bit of additional true pruning if you want to, but the main thing you're going to do from now on is is really thin that tree through the winter months. That'll increase the vigor of the tree, and it'll definitely increase the quality of your fruit. And when would the best time for, for thinning I, be? Yeah, when the leaves are off the tree. Um, it okay. kind of depends on the year. I usually aim at January for thinning, but that's partly because it's a good time for the tree, and it's also partly because that's the slowest time of year in my business. But you can actually do it December, January, and into February up to the point that the buds start to swell. Some years, you know, the peaches fulfill their chilling requirement, and weather starts warming up, and they start budding early. So January is just a good month to aim at, but if if you do it a little earlier, a little bit later, you'll be just fine. Very well, Bob. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Great questions. Appreciate the call, John. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. All right. It's past 830, so let me get a quick break in here. Barbara and Russell will be my next two callers, and I get to talk about the Cedar Eater of Texas. Oh, you know, just another company that does it right, has been doing it right for years, continues to, I mean, they get hired by the Forest Service to do things, by the highway department, by, you know, developers and builders, because they're simply the best in the business at maintaining your property in a cedar-free state. And, uh, you know, those of us that have property in the Hill Country, you always know what a problem the ash juniper, what we call cedar, can be. It literally, I mean, a hundred years ago, fires were regular enough that they kept it under control, confined it mainly to the canyons. Since man moved in and did away with fire, where our land just gets choked with cedar, and it's not good for the land because the cedars catch the majority of the rain that falls, never let it get through to the ground underneath. They choke the light out so that you don't get light on the ground underneath. Consequently, you don't have your native grasses, which do so much to build and improve the soil. Just the best thing you can do with cedar is get rid of it, and I do not recommend the bulldozing and burning that some people do. I recommend the cedar eater because they come in with a machine that cuts it off at ground level, grinds it into a nice mulch all in one operation. No great disturbance to the soil, no burning. It's just the right way to go and you get a great mulch which is also good for the land. They have a North Texas and a South Texas office and you can reach them both at the same phone number. By the way, if you're doing things like clearing senderas, you know, that kind of brush you have, it's going to come back. But, you know, that that, that machine, the, the brush hog that the cedar eater uses, uh, it can clear miles. It can clear more miles of senderas in a day than a crew of men can in a week or longer. So lots of reasons to call the cedar eater. 210-745-2743. 210-745-2743 for the cedar eater of Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Barbara and Russell and Mac and Jan, and Barbara is up next. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Good morning. I have a yard full of stickers. I just recently bought a small house, and it's got stickers all over. How do I even start? (laughs) 
congratulations on your new home, but you got to get rid of the stickers. What I find is the single most effective way to control the stickers, and and remember that you don't need to try to kill the plants now because they're going to die in the winter anyway. They're an annual grass, uh, and all those burrs are already down to make next year's crop. But in my yard, I had an area that, I mean, even the dogs wouldn't walk into it. It was so thick with sticker burrs. And I put down about a, no, maybe half an inch of good compost along with a little fertilizer. And that is literally all I did. And the next year, I went from having, you know, a 100 stickers per square foot. I think the whole summer, I only picked out like three or four sticker burr plants. It's an area we used to use for croquet court. In fact, still do. But uh, that, I think think is the single best control. I think you're wasting your time to buy pre-emergent herbicides because these stickers can germinate over such a long period of time. You'd be putting it out three, four, five times and uh, you have much better things to do with that money. So spreading compost is a good deal of work. You don't have to do it all at once. But uh, I did it mainly January, February. And I simply did not have the stickers, uh, you know, later that spring. And that's all on earth I did. No spraying, no pulling anything else. And I went from just a horrible sticker burr patch to virtually none. Now, in a field that I used to plow and raise uh, back when I was baling my own hay for my cattle, um, that was a horrible sticker burr problem. It was several acres, and I couldn't uh, very well put that much compost out. And in that case, I went to Douglas King Seed Company and got some good native seed, planted more native grasses, and let them choke the sticker burrs out, which also worked, but that took like three or four years. So I'm going to tell you, the single best thing is to uh, put out maybe half an inch of compost over that area, and you will have many, many fewer sticker burrs to deal with this summer. Okay, and and how much, how do I get that much compost? Does it come in bags? Or, uh, well, it depends on how, how big your new yard is. You can always buy it in bags, but uh, uh, I think Stone and Soil Depot has about the best bulk compost. And if you have a friend with a pickup truck or a trailer that can pick it up that way, it's substantially less expensive. You can also have them deliver it. Uh, they, uh, you know, I think they've got six locations now, so uh, they literally are all over the place. And uh, as much of their material as I use, whether it's compost or even road base, uh, their truck drivers know the way to my gate, <laughs> so they can bring it to you if you like. But uh, if you're if you're going to be spreading it yourself, you don't want to make a horribly you know, big labor-intensive job out of it. It'd probably better to give you get a, a pickup load at a time if you have somebody that can uh, give you that you know help with that. And like I say, it's uh, it, it costs money for the companies to put it in bags and seal them and deliver them. So you're probably reducing your costs by about eighty percent to buy it in bulk if you have a way to transport it. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Congratulations on your new home, and uh, get out and enjoy, and call me when you have any questions about that landscape. Okay. Thank (laughs) Thank you, you. Barbara. Certainly. Goodbye. Russell's up next. Good morning, Russell. Good morning. Hey, hey, Bob, I got a a red oak tree that's about eight, nine inches in diameter. It's not not a huge tree, uh, but it, it is rotting, you know, in the center of the trunk. Is should I before it falls over or breaks and damages my fence? Should I go ahead and cut that sucker down? 
I wouldn't. Um, again, if I were going to do anything, if I were concerned about it falling, I'd call a good arborist like uh, David Vaughn and have him take a look at it. But red oaks are just kind of the wimps of the oak family. They're not as actually they're not as bad as post oak and some of the others. But the latest research shows that a hollow tree, assuming that it you know has uh, you know a reasonable outer core of decent wood, a hollow tree is 80% as strong as a solid tree. So being hollow, having dead wood in the middle of it, does not necessarily mean that your tree is real weak. Now the point will come um, by the time it gets up to be 12-15 inches in diameter. Sometimes, uh, you know, they, they do get to the point they just fall over, but having a bit of dead wood in it, if the, if the new growth on the tree is healthy, if the tree is vigorous and overall the, the growth looks good, it probably is not, you know, a real hazard, assuming, you know, that we don't have tornado force winds. So, um, I think if you looked around carefully, you'd see that virtually every every red oak out there has a lot of dead wood, and many of them are hollow. So, this is not a panic situation. And like I say, if if it fell, if it would cause significant damage, yeah, I'd spend a few dollars. And David Vaughn's the arborist I recommend. He doesn't do any trimming or cabling. He just simply is using 60 years of experience, you know, in in a consulting fashion. And uh, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many people. I've sent to him and just everybody calls me back and says wow what a neat guy and if I were going to do anything I probably would get an evaluation uh, you could probably even take a picture of it and text it to him and he'd say hey no worries or you know maybe you want to do this that or the other but this is I'm sure not getting my chainsaw off this afternoon okay now now being as dry as it has been would it help the tree if I got some water around it Red oaks will respond like all trees to water. Now, in a real wet situation, uh, red oaks die because they stay too wet, and they do not like constant intense moisture. But when we are as dry as we are right now, yeah, if you'd water them once every two or three months, water them really, really thoroughly, uh, it very definitely would help the tree. I live up here in the, the Boverde area, which you've got lots of rock, um, you know, is it, I think it's kind of hard to overwater a tree up here, isn't it? Well, what I always tell people is there's no such thing as overwatering. You can water too often, but uh, there's no such thing as putting too much water on at one time. So, uh, And I live west of Bernie, so you've got no monopoly on, on rock and red oaks. Yeah. <laughs> I've got lots of them, too. Uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't overdo it as far as too often. I never water more than once a month. A mature tree like yours at uh, 8, 9 inches diameter, uh, that tree doesn't really need more water more than every 10 to 12 weeks so if you're able to water it thoroughly every couple of months uh you're doing as much good for the tree as you possibly can now if i this is the last question about this if if i wanted to replace this tree eventually with something else you know guys i'd like i mean the tree's a good looking tree when fish in the fall when the leaves turn oh yeah, yeah. you know is there anything what what, what can i replace it with an oak that would give me that same kind of look and you know grow reasonably I guess grows at a, you know, a good rate to where it. Well, unfortunately, 
Yeah, there are not many trees that give us the fall color that the red oaks do. Unfortunately, also, the red oaks are one of the trees that are more susceptible to oak wilt, and uh, if they get it, they're dead within two weeks, and they make the fungal spores. It can spread it over, spread the disease over a wide area. So, Bulverde, I'd never recommend planting a, you know, another red oak. Uh, if you want to plant a really good quality oak tree that is not bothered by oak wilt, there's something called a Mexican live oak or a Monterey oak that would be a very good choice. Um, there are trees like bur oaks that uh, also do very well. I happen to be a big fan of cedar elm, which is going to give you beautiful yellow fall color, even though it's not really red. Uh, the big tooth maple is going to be the closest tree, and it is a hill country tree. It will do just fine in Bulverde. It just doesn't grow as quickly. Uh, but the big tooth maple will give you some of the better fall color that you'll find out there. And uh, flame sumac, I mean, it's not really a tree. It's more of a big shrub, but it gives you probably the brightest yellow of, yeah, I mean, the brightest red of any any plant you're going to see in color in the hill country right now. So uh, there's just nothing quite like a red oak, but uh, they do have their negatives. So uh, I I think this tree is probably going to be with you for a number of years, and uh, <laughs> maybe by that time we'll find something else that gives us good red good red color in the hill country. But uh, right now there's just nothing like a red oak, but it does bring a share of problems as well. All right, Bob. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. My pleasure. You too. Have a great Sunday. Thanks, Russell. Bye. Got to do a break. Mac and Jan will be up next, and I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. Fanix wanted me to be sure to tell you that they have the onion plants in now. We've all been waiting for onions because this is a great time to get them in the garden. Well, Fanix is well stocked now with a lot of different varieties. Of course, they also have the other fall vegetables you're looking for. They're especially heavily stocked on trees because if you're in the CPS, CPS Energy area cps has this great tree rebate program where it's uh, you have to follow a few of the rules they've got a very good list of uh, tree varieties which most of which ones i recommend very highly and you do need to plant them in an area where they could potentially shade your home but they'll give you a $50 credit for every tree you plant up to I think it's seven trees or something like that and uh, they're basically buying the tree for you if you're planting smaller trees and Phoenix is well stocked on trees for the CPS Energy Green Shade Tree Rebate Program. Uh, they also want to remind you that if you're using those SAWS water saver credits this is the last weekend to do so so it'd be a great day to get over and see Phoenix. They've got everything you're looking for in organic fertilizers and mulch and compost lots of different plants and Including, uh, including getting some fruit trees in now, along with citrus and avocados. Just a good day to go see Fanix and check out the Traeger uh, uh, pellet grills. Check out the Ego uh, lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment while you're there. Lots of reasons to go see Fanix over on Home Green Road, right where they've been for over 80 years now. Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, Mac, Jan, and Kay are my next three callers. Let's talk to Mac. Good morning, Mac. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, have sir. A, have a suggestion. Yesterday I was listening to your show, and you had people talking about watering uh, mm-hmm. different things. And something that I've had success with, especially watering uh, shrubs, uh-huh. is I've noticed that new faucets seem to be hard to regulate. Uh-huh. And what I stumbled upon is if you put on a plastic little 
cheap plastic valve for a end of a hose on. It works, except the when you turn it on, it has a tendency to spray the water. Mm-hmm. And what I made up was I got from Drip Lines a uh, hose adapter and uh, screwed it on there. Uh-huh. And in that, uh, in the slip-in portion, I slipped in a. Uh, it was for a half-inch line, and I slipped in it a line about oh, 18 inches, two feet long. Mm-hmm. And what that does is you can adjust it really good with a little plastic valve after the hose's line is turned on sure. pretty good. Sure. Yeah. And it and that uh, little short piece of line uh, softens the flow of the water. Well, it, it reduces uh, the it reduces the pressure. It's exactly what it does, and you're exactly right. It's a good thing to do. I'll tell you, you can also, if you don't want to go that much much trouble, uh, you can get what they call a pressure reducing valve, and uh, that will do the same thing. The problem is, depending on where you live in San Antonio, you may have you know 40 psi at that outlet, or you may have 120. And some of these new subdivisions and things, their water pressure is so high that literally will, you know, pop, you know, old fittings and things like that. So what you've done is just create a very efficient, effective uh, pressure-reducing device with your uh, smaller diameter, softer hose, and uh, it, it certainly will make it a lot easier to get an even flow out of the end of the hose. But uh, um, if you don't want to go to that much trouble, you can spend probably under $10 and get a pressure-reducing valve and uh, and do exactly what you're talking about. But it's uh, you're right. It'll sure make it a lot more pleasant uh, as far as the watering goes. This here, I, I didn't even spend ten dollars. I made this out of leftover parts, <laughs> and, it, and it also made a uh, nice, uh, like a watering wand. Uh huh. And another one I came I came up with that really worked well is I used another hose adapter that you can again screw onto the valve, mm-hmm. and I put a. Uh, I had a to go to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A quarter-inch drop line, and on the end, I put a dripper that was about a, I believe it was a four-gallon-per-hour dripper, mm-hmm. and that worked good. And uh, I just thought I'd share that because of kind of the dry weather and everything, but... <laughs> well, not everybody is as clever as you are, Mac, so you're you're very kind to, to share your your. I won't call them inventions, but your clever devices with us, and uh, well, uh, I keep doing it. That. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. One line left open. Grab it if you like. We're going to talk to Jan and Kay and Cindy first, though, and uh, Jan is up first. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. Good Thank morning. Thank you for taking my call. Well, um, thanks for calling. I have St. Augustine grass, and it's uh, in my front yard. And so this summer I faithfully watered with the water restrictions, you know, my one time a day. I never watered at night. Apparently there was a problem with my water meter, and saws ended up having to come out and replace it. Well, anyhow, I ended up with chinch bugs. Uh So um, ABC came out and sprayed for the chinch bugs. But by that time, I mean, it was looking pretty bad. And I was just thinking because it wasn't getting enough water, but that wasn't it. It was the chinch bugs. So we sprayed for that and then, you know, kept with the watering. Well, then they came out, and I had brown patch. 
So long story short, my front yard, you know, looks awful. <laughs> so we have um, kind of raked up all that dead stuff. And I just wonder, do I need to resod that or will it no. come back? No, it it will. You'll have areas of dead grass, uh, more from the chinch bugs. Brown patch, brown patch kills some of the grass, but always leaves a lot of live grass behind. And for that matter, the chinch bugs do. Now, it will have to grow back into those areas, the areas that are very brown. Um, if you get down and look at the runners of your St. Augustine, if those runners are still green, those runners will come out. If those runners are brown, the grass will have to spread from surrounding live runners. But at this point, my advice to you is to fertilize perhaps put some compost on over the winter months and I'm almost certain your yard uh, will come back and St. Augustine grass grows so quickly in the spring it's amazing how quickly it fills in but it's it's you know not going to look real good through the winter months if you want it to look better you could always do a very thin overseeding with one of the dwarf winter rye. you'll have a nice green lawn through the winter and then you know you're saying Augustine will recover in the spring but uh I do not think you're going to have to resod. I, I certainly wouldn't suggest going to that much trouble. I would fertilize. Um, I would like to say if you can, if you can find a way to put a thin layer of compost out, that would be very good. But I don't remember a year when St. Augustine has had so many problems uh, between the drought, between the grub worms, and occasionally chinch bugs, and now brown patch in the fall. This has just been a it's been a tough year on turf grass. A lot of the zoysias have suffered, and uh, even the Bermuda has a few bad looking spots in it. So uh, don't feel like you're alone but don't let anybody tell you you're looking at all the work and expense of putting down new sod i just don't think that's going to be necessary okay well i thank you very much i appreciate it you get out and have a good sunday jan thank you for the call this morning thank you goodbye bye -bye. (laughs) all right Kay is up next good morning Kay. hi how are you this morning i'm doing well thank you how about yourself i'm doing super it's a beautiful day good it is i have a question one question only I was gifted a, a plant called a frost-proof gardenia. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. It has small leaves. It bloomed when I first got it. Now it's they're in pots, uh, you know, about like 10-inch pots. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm afraid to put it in the ground because I don't know what, you know, what it's going to do. I wanted the old-fashioned gardenia, the one with the sure. big leaves and, yeah. you know, that grows about 10 feet tall like my grandmother had. Right. But this Was is what I got. Was your grandmother here in so San Antonio? Like, no, I'm in, over here in uh, Giddings. No, okay. Um, you know, I, I laugh because to me it's kind of a joke for them to have come out with the gardenia they call frostproof because every gardenia I know of is frostproof. They are, for the most part, a cold-hardy plant. There are other jasmines related that aren't. But, right, um, right. What you have is just a different variety of gardenia. Now, if you want, there's no way to make that. This you can't turn a, a dachshund into a chihuahua. I mean, or into a great dame. It's it's always going to be uh, small. But on the other hand, it will bloom. There's another one called August Beauty that I like even better. Uh, but it blooms mm-hmm. over a longer period of time. But if you're looking for the giant one that your grandmother had, uh, you want to ask for a variety called Mystery 
Uh, Mystery Gardenia is still around after all these years, and and Giddings are going to have a lot easier time growing it than we would in the hill country Mm -hmm. because they like that richer soil. They like a little bit of acidity to the soil. So um, Mm -hmm. I'd tell you to go ahead and get these guys in the ground anytime you like because uh, they're simply going to be easier to maintain than they are in pots. But uh, again, can't make a Chihuahua into a Great Dane. It's always going to be True. a little small flower. We're going to have the great fragrance. Um, right. So put it in an area that you know you can. It, it's kind of like having stock in the garden. That <clears throat> that is the most sweetly scented plant in the world for me. It I takes know. it back. It takes me back to memories of yep. my grandfather's flower shop. But uh, the place you want the uh, big garden, yeah, yeah. Go find yourself a mystery garden. Well, It'll do just fine. Okay, cool beans. I appreciate your help so much. You have a good day, and thank you again. You're always welcome, Kay. Thank you for the call this morning. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, we can keep going here for a minute. Cindy's up next, and then it'll be Robin. Good morning, Cindy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Well, good morning. How are you on this windy day? <laughs> well, I don't think the wind's going to blow me away, but uh, it's just a beautiful morning. If you get out of the wind, it's it's just a it's just a wonderful fall day. The wind's going to die down, and it looks like we're in for a chilly night tonight, but then a stretch of uh, very nice weather afterwards, except for the lack of rain. But you know, can't can't do anything about that. So. My rule is don't grouse about things that you can't fix, so I wish everybody else in the world would learn that. <laughs> but we won't go down oh, that yeah. road. How are you yeah, this morning? Okay. I have several questions here. I wanted to know what happened to your black blue salvia that you had in the parking lot. Uh, to which one of the salvias now? The black blue or blue black, oh, the blue and blue and black. I, you know, in the hot, hot summer months, it uh, it always gets a bit of lace bug. Uh, that is a plant that is actually a little happier if it doesn't get quite as much sun. And I just have to say it wasn't me that planted it in that spot. But uh, every time this year, we cut it way back, and then it comes out absolutely beautifully in the spring. So uh, if you're going to plant any of the Garanetica, the black and blue, just, just plant it where it gets morning sun and afternoon shade, and it'll stay a lot prettier than that particular bed that just gets more sun than it likes late summer. Okay, well, I I have some, and it does, right now, it doesn't look very good at all, and it does get afternoon shade, and I I was just wondering if maybe it it just didn't do well at all, and you wanted to take it out, and I said maybe put something else in there. Well, how many plants do we have out there that are beautiful in the spring and summer, and then they get kind of tired looking toward the end of the summer? If we ripped out everything that, you know, didn't look good come, you know, August, September, a lot of us would be tearing out half of our yard. So I just fertilize it, cut mm-hmm. it back, and uh, enjoy the six months that it's going to be beautiful because it's one of those plants that's just always going to be tired looking by this time of the year. Okay. Okay. And and I have the same kind of problem with my John Fanick flocks. And mm-hmm. so I was reading about it, and it said it needed to be divided every couple years. Do you um, agree with that internet uh, comment? Yeah, uh, again... 
the people writing this stuff, they're trying to write for such a large area. If you were in super rich soil, if you were, you know, east of town rather than northwest of town, yeah, John, John Panic flocks would be so vigorous that it would, it would be a good idea to divide it uh, every couple of years. In the hill country, no. I, I think that'd be overdoing it maybe every four or five years. And, that flocks, like all of that whole group of flocks, they get some root issues that I don't think anybody's really figured out, uh, you know, exactly what causes it. But I've I've had areas, and, and Roberta's gone through this this year, uh, where big areas have just decided to die out, and we're not sure exactly what it was that got after it. But, uh, again, uh, flocks is one of those things that is, I'll put it on the fairly dependable list but it gets its own little share of problems and uh, I don't think dividing and replanting are going to solve them I think you know regular watering regular fertilizing and maybe every four or five years if you want to divide it that'll be fine well it's been in there at least five years so well this spring early spring I don't think I'd necessarily do it in the fall but about February or so try dividing it let's see how it does we can all learn from your experience Okay, and what? How would you recommend dig up the whole plant and then divide it, or just take a chunk out of it? Um, I, you know, I'd almost have to look at it. Uh, many times, if it's just really, really thick, yeah, you're better off just to dig a chunk of it out, divide it up, and replant smaller divisions of it. Where it's possible to, you know, take some, leave some, uh, I think it's always great if you have a section that you haven't disturbed the roots on it, and it's going to be the best bloomer for you that next season. But uh, you just almost have to look at the bed. If you can divide pieces of it out and thin it out without taking it all out, that's ideal. But uh, sometimes it just comes up so much as one big clump, you just divide it up, give some of it away, and replant the rest of it. Okay. I'd, I'd break it into little sections that are maybe three inches in diameter, just, just you know, a clump that you can barely reach around. That's about how much of it you want to break away and plant up separately. Okay. All right. And then uh, sun gold tomatoes, are they going to come true if I take the tomatoes seeds and hold them and um, plant them? They virtually always come true. Uh, tomatoes, of course, are wind-pollinated rather than uh, pollinated by insects. So they usually, and, and they're pretty pure strain as far as their genetics go. They've been reproduced over so many generations. We say the gene pairs are now in a homozygous state, which means they will come pretty true. Um, it's the your professional seed companies uh like as visiting with people from Brimseed a while back if they're propagating and saving seed they want to be a hundred percent sure comes true they don't want to have a second variety within 20 feet because i guess maybe they have more windy days but i'm going to tell you probably 95 percent of your seeds going to come true okay because i i did save some seeds before and I gave them to a friend, and she said that it came out not a sun gold. Um, but it's possible I got the seeds mixed up, too. <laughs> I love an honest gardener. <laughs> no, you know, usually, usually sun gold comes true, but... 
you know, again, uh, life's been so busy recently for me at least that I'm not sure I'm going to have time to start my own seed. So I'm just glad that there are a lot of growers now who have realized what a good plant sun gold is and, you know, haven't had any problem finding sun gold at least early in the season. But it's always good to hold a few seed back just in case uh, the commercial guys don't propagate as many as they should because sun gold is just one probably overall it's probably my favorite tomato in the garden because i can walk out there and pick 15 or 20 of them and just you know from plant to mouth uh that's how i start my yeah. my evening in the gar- vegetable garden uh through a lot of the growing season oh yeah you definitely introduced me to to that and that's the only one that i want now <laughs> and i did i did take cuttings uh for my uh spring plant and had mm-hmm. Two or three of them going in the fall, so mm-hmm. I did okay on it. But you know, I wanted to try doing the seeds again. And well, you can do happens. the seeds again, and if you're fortunate enough to have room in the greenhouse, most people fall comes around and there's not enough room to get things. The greenhouses tend to shrink over the summer months somehow, and there's never room to put everything back in in the fall. But if you had room to do it, you could take some cuttings from your fall sun golds and save those over to plant next spring if you want to you know perpetuate the plants that you already have but uh again you're you're probably going to do just fine with your seeds okay and when you spray liquid seaweed is there a better time of day to do that or does it really matter i don't think it really matters cindy i in the hottest part of the you know, summer and the hottest part of the afternoon, any liquid can act like a little prism, can act like a little magnifying glass, beat up on the leaves and cause a little bit of sunburn underneath. But if it's that hot and unpleasant to be out, I'm probably not going to be out spraying. So uh, I, I don't think the there's there's nothing in seaweed that would make it more... Uh, the word is phytotoxic, but um, there's mm-hmm. nothing in seaweed that's going to cause that problem. But uh, anytime you're spraying a liquid when it's, uh, you know, 101 degrees and 2 o'clock in the afternoon, yeah, you can get a little bit of burn just from that prism effect. But uh, uh, no, the I think the greatest benefits from liquid seaweed are as a foliar spray where, you know, when we're talking about spider mite protection, when we're talking about freeze protection, I think it's by far best used as a foliar spray. And uh, uh, unless it's just the hottest, brightest part of the hottest month of the year, don't hesitate. You spray when it's convenient for you. Okay. Well, on on our list today was spraying some liquid seaweed outside, but it's not going to happen. Well, maybe this afternoon when it when the wind dies down. Now, the only negative to spraying liquid seaweed is that it will, you know, like colored flowers, it will leave a brown stain on them, but it's not going to cause any any physiological problems. Okay, yeah, and that was another question that Terry asked me this morning: is is there a time frame that after you mix it that it lasts? Is it do I need to use it right away or? I would use it within a day or two, uh, not necessarily because it's going to have any problems, but it's going to get stinky, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that coastal smell is fine, but when it starts smelling like rotting fish, that's not what I want in the vegetable garden. So, I, you know, I'd use it up in a day or two, or better yet, just, you know, try not to mix more than you're going to be spraying out. Um, I, the biggest problem I have with trying to save it is that unless you rinse your sprayer real well, it will kind of clog things up. Or I put it out sometimes with a siphon mixer, and uh, it'll sure clog up that little uh, spring-like strainer down on the 
end of it. So I like using it up and then flushing some fresh water through it. But it's not really going to go bad on you. But it's going to, uh, it's going to. <laughs> there, there's a, there's a, a name actually, a technical name for some of the microbes that are produced, and uh, what they produce is something called putrescine, and that's what you're smelling. And it's not a real pleasant smell. So, uh, <laughs> long answer yeah. to a short question. I'd, I'd use it up as quickly as you conveniently can. Okay, because I am going to spray my desert roses that are inside now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I was going to make a batch, so I'll just make a smaller batch for them. Yeah, and what I do if I have extra, I'll just go pour it on. You know, they've identified, I think, uh, 96 different beneficial compounds in good seaweed. And so it's it helps your plants as a drench. I just think it works uh, even better as a foliar spray. And uh, when I'm out in my greenhouse, if I've got some left and don't want to take the time to go spray everything else outside, I'm just going to put it in a bucket and go pour it over the Sun Gold tomatoes or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't waste it for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I had today. Well, you tell Terry hello and to try to behave himself, and not a good day for flying, so he better stay home and uh, help you in the garden. <laughs> Y'all have a great afternoon. Yeah. Thank you, Cindy. Okay. Thank you. Ha-ha. <laughs> Bye. All right. Uh, got to get a break out of the way here, and I get to talk about another very fun subject with a great group of people, and that is Wild Birds Unlimited. You know, Kyle and his staff, uh, they've just done wonders with the Wild Birds Unlimited store out there on Northwest Military in Hebner. Knew uh, when Bill had it for all those years, and boy, he sure found a good successor because Kyle's, uh, if anything, taking it to a whole new level. They know so much about birds and birding, and they want to remind you of quite a number of different things that fall is different than summers. If you're an active birder, you know that birds feed on different substances in the fall, and Wild Birds Unlimited, well, one thing they've got is some great, great suet out there. When I was growing up, my mom simply got some suet from the butcher. Well, now you go to Wild Birds Unlimited and you get suet that has uh, different seeds, maybe even mealworms, maybe even uh, different nutrients mixed in with it. So easy to offer to the birds, and uh, your birds really appreciate it. And the seed eaters, yes, there's a special winter blend they do with the seed that gives them the extra energy, the extra oils that birds need to get need to get through the winter. So with proper feeding, you're not only helping the birds, but you're also bringing more color and more life into the garden. Oh, they also want to remind you that if you're looking for easy Christmas shopping, they've all kind of bundled several things together for the new person that's just getting into birding, and it's all wrapped up and ready to go. Make your Christmas shopping all that much easier. Of course, they're always there to help you with all kinds of questions, all kinds of great gift merchandise. Wild Birds Unlimited is just a fun place to visit. They're open every day, easy to find out there in the center at the corner of Northwest Military and Havener. They're on the side that sort of faces Northwest Military. Every day is a good day to go see our friends at Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Robin, Frank, Barbara, and Marlis are going to be the next four callers. Uh, good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good I morning. I want you to know that you're one of the highlights of my week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may have a very boring week if that's the case, but I sure do appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, no, I really don't. I, I enjoy every day. But yeah. anyway, I have, a, I have a problem here. Um, 
about three years ago, I purchased um, a sea hibiscus. Hibiscus tilius, I guess it is. Uh Has a beautiful heart-shaped leaf and does a yellow blossom. Right. Well, I purchased it at the San Antonio um, what the, the uh, plant sale that they have. Yeah, down the was Yeah. All I had all I had on it was uh, hardy hibiscus, so I had mm-hmm. no idea, you know, really what it was. But I thought the leaf was so pretty. So I planted it in a corner on the southeast side of my house, and I thought it would do well there. Well, my goodness, it is 12 feet tall. <laughs> it has way over from yeah, it, it's safe, and right. I want to move it. It's not blooming because it's not getting enough sun. Sure. Um, so I want to move it. Is is it possible that I cut it back quite severely and dig it up and move it? You certainly can, but in all honesty, Robin, I would wait and do it in the spring. Uh, if it turns out to be a mild winter, if you have faith that uh, global warming is going to keep us from getting real cold this winter, then I'd say do it right now. But you will shock it when you cut it back and dig it to move it. And then if we should get an abnormally cold or an unusually cold, I don't think normal is even the word enters mm-hmm. in our vocabulary to Texas weather. But um, uh, yes, you can very definitely move it and very successfully. And you might even want to root some cuttings off of it to share with your friends. But I'm going to do that in uh, probably February or early March rather than taking it on November. Okay, so take some cuttings. Can I just put them in good potting soil? The best thing to do is to root them in perlite, the white volcanic material. You get a higher percentage of them root and... uh, um, they, I mean, they can stay in the perlite indefinitely if you don't have time to pot them up or if they take up too much room. Just leave them in the perlite, fertilize them through the winter, and pot them up in the spring. But that's uh, such an unusual plant and something that's not really very commonly offered in the nursery trade. It's, you know, how would I describe it? It just, it, it, it's a lot of plants for a few flowers. I mean, it, it does take up a lot of room in the garden, and to me it's not as rewarding as, you know, some of the things that have more blooms over a longer period of time. But if you want something unusual, if you want a, a truly hardy, dependable plant, yeah, it's it's a fine plant to have. And uh, like I say, share with your friends and uh, and enjoy, but it just, it's it turns into a small monster given the opportunity. It certainly did. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and you have a great day. You do the same. Appreciate the call, Robin. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. Uh, Frank is up next. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Bob. (coughs) Morning. Yeah, can you hear me pretty good? I hear you loud and clear. Okay. uh, First of all, I love your program. Well, thank you. And uh, you're one of the highlights of our week, too, up there with Taco <laughs> Tuesday and Thirsty Thursday. <laughs> well, I, you, you make my head swell, but uh, if I'm if I'm brightening your, your life in a time that is so filled with negativity, then uh, I'm very happy to be out there doing that for you. Well, you're welcome. And uh, when you talked about changing uh, Great Danes into Chihuahuas and all that stuff, I always... Uh, <laughs> Every time you say that, I think about those dogs playing poker. I know you've seen those calendars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All those breeds of dogs are sitting there playing. I don't know why I think of that, but you're just a 
uh, you know, a burst of fresh air when it comes to all that kind of well, stuff. Dogs are a burst of fresh air, and as I'm looking here, I've got two uh, two black rugs very close to me, my two black labs that help me do the show uh, over here. So, uh, yeah, yeah, dogs. We heard, and... we heard them earlier. <laughs> they they can be a bit vocal, but uh, anyway, I'm with no, you. It's just anything cool. makes you smile in this world is uh, is a very good thing, and I'm I'm glad the dogs do it for you, and it flatters me if I do you it bet. as well. You bet. You bet. Uh, I've got a tropical hibiscus, just like uh, Robin. Uh, now, Robin's was a perennial. Old... Yeah. Well, yeah, hers well, was, was a little different. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's... Well, I've got, this, I've got this thing in a pot, and it's mm-hmm. in a 10-gallon pot, and it's about six foot wide and eight foot tall. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> we're going to try to move it inside, I guess, this week or... My girlfriend and I last weekend were contemplating on what to do with it. And uh-huh. I know I've got to cut it back to get it in the back door somehow. Right. Yeah. And I don't know the it that size, how far do I cut back and what type of fertilizer do we need to put on it before we need it? what's gonna benefit those roots during the winter more? A liquid or a granular form of fertilizer? Uh, a liquid fertilizer. In fact, just anything growing in a pot. I prefer a liquid fi- fertilizer like Hester Grow Plant or Medina's new uh, liquid fish fertilizer. Uh, believe me, I, I can identify with a problem. And, but hibiscus don't really mind being dragged around. You do have to, you do have to protect them from freezing weather. But I think back to the years that I worked with uh, one of my great mentors, Mr. Alton Grimm. He lived up in Waring, and he literally had a hibiscus hedge in his front yard. Every fall about this time, he would dig them up, drag them down to the nursery. I'd pot them up, would put them in the greenhouses for the winter, and he'd take them and plant them back out in his yard. Uh, you know, the following yeah. <laughs> spring. So it. Uh, so they are tough, and they can handle being whacked on. They can handle being moved around. Long term, you need to think about building a greenhouse because you sound like a guy that would really enjoy having a greenhouse and it's a lot easier to get them into the greenhouse than they do a lot better through the winter months but uh my advice is always that means more work that i have to do i don't want to go through that again i just built a fence out here about a month ago and that means more uh, toil we don't want to go through more toil uh, well, you can. Uh, you, you'll have more reward from building the greenhouse than you will building the I fence. Know, but uh, but my girlfriend no. is listening, and she's shaking her head as well. She's like, "My goodness gracious!" But, well, uh, you know, just tell her it'll keep you off the streets and uh, out of trouble if uh, if she helps you with it. But no, you cut them back as much as you need to. I wouldn't overdo it because fall is not the best time of year. Spring is a much better time. Because the growth that comes out gets brighter light, it'll be stronger, it'll be better. But, you know, again, if it's a choice of whack it back or let it freeze, I'm going to whack it back just as severely as I have to. I'm going to put it in the brightest window that I possibly can uh, inside. But uh, uh, long term, be thinking about a greenhouse, even a small one. It'll make your life a lot easier. Uh, It's a little bit of work, but come by and see the new greenhouse that I'm about to put the finishing touches on. There are lots of fun things you can do with a greenhouse. And I know my greenhouse at home, which I built a couple of years ago, I mean, that's in the winter months, that's where I'll 
be out with a cup of tea on a on a cold morning or with uh, an adult beverage on a cold evening. And uh, greenhouses will give you a lot of pleasure, but again, a little bit of work, but what isn't? Right. We, we came by your place uh, a couple of months back and saw the progression that you had going on. Uh, we're from. Uh, I don't live in San Antonio. I live in Washington mm-hmm. County. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that area yeah. over east. But, uh, we went to uh, King William and stayed uh-huh. at a B and B over there. And then our last place we stopped was at uh, Shades of Green, and it was a joy to behold. It really was. <laughs> well, I jokingly say people compare us to the botanical gardens all the time, and I tell them the difference is very easy. The botanical gardens you pay to get in, and the Shades of Green you pay to get out. <laughs> but we 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 always enjoy your visit, Frank. Hey, you bet, Bob. Uh, take care and have a great week. You do the same, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, got to get a break in here. Barbara will be up next, and then Marlis. And uh, let me see here. I'm up to the point that I get to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And, you know, it's just <laughs> I, I listen to all these ads, and they're all so involved with roof repair this, roof repair that. If you have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home or business, chances are you're never going to have to do any repair. I've had a roof, their roof on my home for many years, never one single service call. Only time we've ever called them in Shades of Green was when a truck ran into our roof, and that was hardly their fault. Matter of fact, I was talking to, I don't know whether it's Rex or Tommy over there, when we had that little tornado in the neighborhood a few years ago. And I asked them, I said, well, did you all have any roof damage from uh, the tornado over east of us? And he said, well, we had one roof that a tree fell on, but the storm didn't cause any damage. So if you're like me, I don't want to think about repairing roofs. I want to think about putting on such a good quality roof that I don't have to worry about repair. And uh, our roof here at the nursery, man, it took baseball-size hail. And I guess you might find a tiny dimple or two, but it cost us one penny. No repair needed. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs stand up to the weather. They're they're engineered to be lifetime quality roofs. All kinds of choices, too, when it comes to color, when it comes to style of material. You just need to give them a call and, and find out what all the options are. And I think you, like so many of our friends, will be amazed at how little it costs to put on a lifetime quality roof. I know when we built our groundwater district office a couple of years ago up in Bernie, both the architect and the builder, I told them I wanted a Southwest Metal Roofing roof on that new building. They said, oh, we could never afford that. I said, you call them. Well, they both called me back and said, man, I didn't know a good roof like that could be so inexpensive. If you're tired of roof repairs or if you're building a new home and never want to have to worry about the roof, you simply call 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to the phone lines and uh, gardening. Let's see. Next up is going to be Barbara, and then it'll be Marlis and Bonnie. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a couple of questions. Um, I've had a pill bug invasion in my garden, and <laughs> okay. I just wanted to give you a suggestion. Well, if there, there are two ways to go about it. Uh, if you want to spend zero money and really reduce their numbers, 
You can create a pill bug trap by taking a, a glass jar, not a plastic jar, but something slick-sided, bury it down in the ground right up to the lip, and then a little bit of moisture or a little slice of apple, a little bit of lettuce, they will crawl into it and can't get out, and you can eliminate them by the hundreds. Uh, if you want something a little easier, there is a safe and natural product out there called Sluggo Plus. It's an uh, iron phosphate bait uh, with the spinosad added, which takes care of snails, slugs, and pill bugs. And, you know, you'll feel like you're not getting anywhere, but you're, what you're doing is bringing in all the pill bugs from the surrounding area because that is a very powerful attractant in it. But it, it kills them safely. Now, they can be damaging, especially on green spinach and lettuce and things like that. They will just chew the heck out of it. So I would do something to get them under control, but uh, either make your own trap or, like I say, this logo plus is the best thing on the market that I know of. Absolutely do not use bug bait. That stuff has metaldehyde and some stuff in it that is so toxic, you know, a teaspoon will kill a small dog. But uh, the spin is, uh, the uh, Sluggo Plus is safe to use. So you said Sluggo Plus. Yes, uh-huh. You'll find Sluggo, which is an iron phosphate bait that does snails and slugs, and then Sluggo Plus, they've added a uh, form of spinosad to it that is very safe for the garden, but is very bad for the pill bugs. Great. Thank you. Oh, one other question. Um, my tomatoes, I started my garden two years ago, and I had uh -huh. tomatoes. Great. And then this last year I didn't, and I was driving along one morning a few weeks ago, and I heard you tell someone about what to put in your soil to have good tomatoes, and I was wondering if you could help me with my tomato crop and get the soil. <laughs> okay. Well, when you plant your tomatoes, uh, if you want to really increase your yield, what you want to do is uh, put a handful of something called rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole and then plant directly on top of it. If you mix it with the soil, it does no good because it is totally tied up and unavailable in our alkaline soils. But uh, actually experiments in weighing tomatoes, <clears throat> we found that handful of rock phosphate underneath the plant will double the number of pounds of tomatoes you'll pick off of any given plant. Uh, in addition, you know, I think uh, just regular spraying with liquid seaweed really improves the quality of the plants and the flavor. If you have issues, and most of us do, with this disease called early blight, which is yellowing that just starts at the bottom and spreads upwards, I put just dust on a handful of uh, cornmeal, just whole ground cornmeal, cheapest you can find. Find, uh, sprinkle it on the soil around the base of the plant, and I rarely have, especially early in the season, I just don't have the early black problems that most people do. Wow, well, that's great. Thank you. And I can get this at your store. Or any good, or any good nursery. Um, the one other thing uh, that I think is important with tomatoes, tomatoes get a, it's a physiological problem. It's not a disease. I don't know why they call it blossom end rot. But uh, it's a condition where the lower end of the tomato, uh, it uh, just turns black, kind of shrivels and turns black. I need to take a sip of tea there. Uh, and it's not a disease, but it's actually a, an imbalance of calcium and magnesium. If you want to head that problem off, Take, uh, again, I just do it by the handful, I don't measure, just a handful of Epsom salts, and in this case you don't put it in the hole, you just scatter it around the ground at the base of the tomato. That rebalances your calcium and magnesium and you'll never have a problem with blossom end rot. So 
those are just a few of the things. If you do happen to come by Shades of Green, our nursery, uh, we do have all that <laughs> written down in a free handout. We'll happily give you so you don't have to remember everything. But rock phosphate and, uh, and Epsom salts and whole ground cornmeal, those are three things that will make a big difference. Well, thank you very much, Bob, and you have a great day. <laughs> you do the same, Barbara. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Hey, time got away from me, and it's uh, about 12 minutes till 10 o'clock, so I need to get another one more quick break here and before the end of the show or before the end of the hour means I get to talk to you about Medina. And Medina is one of those things that, I mean, it's to me, it's just their products are an integral part of my gardening. And uh, I use their dry granular fertilizer for a lot of different uses, including the garden. I use their liquid fertilizer like has to grow plant and the new liquid fish. I use that for everything from houseplants to my orchids to follow-up fertilizing with uh, both flowers and vegetables in the garden. Medina's products are all natural. Some of them are certified organic. But Medina's been right here in our neck of the woods producing quality products for people everywhere from small home gardens to people that ranch or farm hundreds and thousands of acres. I'll never forget being at Medina one time and Stuart, we were visiting, had to stop and take a call from Norway where they were using his product. We went on visiting and had to stop and take a call from somewhere in the Middle East where they were using Medina products. You know, people worldwide have learned what quality products they are and they've always been right here close to home, right over there in Hondo, Texas. If you're looking for quality products to build the soil, to work with nature and to give you better success, look for things from Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, time to get back to gardening here. It's going to be Marlis and Bonnie and Joe, and Marlis is first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. My question for you is when should I divide my Lily of the Niles? We always try to divide things opposite their season of bloom. Lily of the Nile is, uh, or Agapanthus, uh, is a plant that tends to bloom late spring, so best time to divide it is late fall, which would be about right now. Okay. I guess I've got a job for me this afternoon. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, don't feel like you have to divide it. Do you have the little dwarf one, Peter Pan, or do you have the big form? I have the great big ones. Okay. And, you know, if if it's simply getting too big, taking up too much room, you want to have it somewhere else, you can. But uh, uh, Agapanthus is one of those plants that does not have to be moved and divided. If you want to just let it make a bigger and bigger clump, uh, that's fine, too. So you do what okay. pleases you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Bonnie is up next. Good morning, Bonnie. Hi, uh, I was listening to your comments about the perennial flocks, and I wanted to tell you my story. I was given perennial flocks about 50 years ago by uh -huh. an older lady in the neighborhood, and she said that periodically you have to div divide them and throw away the mother plant. Just plant the side shoots, uh -huh. and the mother, it will die, she said, eventually. So um, that's what I tried to do a little bit, but... Mine did not do well this year or last year, but they were beautiful mm -hmm. the year before that. But anyway, for what it's worth, we, it might be a thought. So have you been uh, dividing regularly and, and you know, discarding the, yeah. the older part? I don't do everything I'm supposed to do. But <laughs> <I started> with... <laughs> An honest gardener. 
But uh, they when they start looking rough, you know, look bad, uh-huh. then I replant them. So, mm-hmm. um, and that does do, but, does seem to perk them up. Yeah. Uh, well, I I transplanted them the year before last. A few, just a few, stuck them in there, and they did fine. The ones that I've had in the, uh, a number of years in the same place have. I've lost a bunch of them, so it really scared me. I didn't want to lose them because they've been beautiful all these years. Right. So, anyway. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that because that was my business partner's experience last year. I mean, she had a, a patch of them that could have been on the front of cover of Southern Living, the most beautiful I've ever seen. And a large number of them just kind of died out this year. So I mean, maybe maybe we're on to something. Maybe maybe redividing and, and replanting is a necessary thing. So uh, I'm going to do a little more experimenting and start recommending that. Yeah, well, I don't know what it is about the mother plant, but she said that other perennials like dianthas and uh-huh. uh, that you should do that. When you restart new ones in the fall, throw the, way, the mother plant away and just do the side shoots. Well, I I have certainly I certainly would agree with that on uh, on dianthus. I I actually start more from cuttings than I do, uh, um, you know, from trying to divide the big plant. But some of these perennial uh, dianthus, like one of my favorites, is uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the one that grows like almost waist high, and uh, your bigger, taller dianthus. They for me they tend to they tend to live about three years. But they root so easily yeah. from cuttings. It's it's really good to always start some fresh ones of those. So, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I I'm, so. anyway, I appreciate I, you taking the time to share with us, <laughs> and uh, uh, I I will approve my own gardening as a result of Marlis. And uh, you get out and have a good I'm Sunday. Gonna... I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Bye. All right, uh, I think we have time to get uh, Bonnie in here before the news break. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, that was, I'm sorry, Bonnie. Then uh, are we up to Joe at this point? Okay, then Joe's up next. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bob. I have a question about irrigation system for a raised vegetable garden. I have, Uh my, my garden is about 10 by 20, and it's about, Two feet high. Okay. I can grow great, great produce on it. The uh-huh. problem is my water bill is through the roof. Yes, sir. Uh, but I water by hand with a hose. Uh-huh. So what is the best system that I can put in there? I know you have those, like, drip irrigation. Does that uh-huh. work well for a vegetable garden? And do you well, recommend there are different kinds of drip irrigation. Uh, there are the drip irrigation systems where you have this little very thin tubing and you go actually put an emitter you know, next to each plant. And then there's something, a form of drip irrigation they call inline, which means it's a tube that has the emitters built into it. The inline drip irrigation system is the one I use. It's they call pressure compensated drip. And uh, it's very water conservative. It puts out each little opening, puts out nine-tenths of a gallon of water per hour. And virtually 100% of that goes directly into the ground. And very little is lost to evaporation. And so that is what I think is the most water conservative system. And like I say, that's what I've used for several years. It's comparatively inexpensive and um 
Uh, again, uh, I put mine actually on a sprinkler system timer with solenoid so that it waters my garden. And if I have the pleasure of sneaking off to go do a little fly fishing or something like that. So I would encourage you to look at the pressure compensated drip by Rainbird. See something like that at uh, the local box store. I, you know, I don't shop box stores when I can avoid it. Uh, you can try. I, you may very well be able to find it there, but uh, I think many good nurseries carry it as well and all the little uh, things that go along with it. Um, yes, sir. I, I, it, it, I, I would call, I would look, but uh, be, be very careful that you are getting, and, and it is the good stuff. It's a half-inch diameter tube. It's brown in color. Uh, they have a new form out. How they put so much technology into a product that is so inexpensive, uh, um, I'm not sure. But it, it, it sure for me has been a, uh, has been a great conserver of water because uh, when you live on a well like I do, I'd also encourage, and I'm right out of time for the hour, but put in some rainwater catchment too. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it would be a good time to grab, uh, let's see, actually I have two lines open. We're going to talk to Joe and Frank and, uh, I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, Joe is Joe dropped. Okay, so Frank's going to be up next, and uh, uh, let's just go straight to those phone lines. Good morning, Frank. Hi, how you doing, Bob? I'm good, uh, sir. Thank you. Okay, well, um, I got uh, two questions actually. One, one of them I got a 14 year old oak tree, and of uh, course the limbs coming off the bottom got those what they call them suckers. Is that it? The little skinny. Uh, yeah, are, so these are coming out off the root system or coming out up and down the, the limbs of the tree? Yeah, on the limbs. And I was just uh-huh. wondering about cutting them off, of, like thin it out in there. Uh, should I do that? It's not necessary. Um, it doesn't really help the tree in any way. And is this a live oak? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think. Okay. Uh, I if, was told it's a hybrid live oak. I'm not sure yeah. about that. Oh, that's just uh, those are just sort of a selected strain. It you can't you can cut them out if you want to, but like any other wound, you've got to seal every wound that you make. If you cut the suckers out or pull the suckers off and leave that wound open, that's an open invitation for oak wilt to get started, and uh, you certainly don't want to have to deal with that. So. Uh, um, I would just leave them. You're not going to improve the growth. You're not going to help the tree. The tree's trying to put on more green leaves so that it can, in effect, make more, store more energy for itself. So uh, uh, I know there are these, now I call them uh, uh, hack, whack, and stack tree trimmers that uh, they just want to do something unnecessary and charge you a bunch of money for it. So uh, I think it's totally unnecessary to take the little sucker growth off. Many times okay. that sucker growth comes out because people have pruned it too heavily. So I'm going to find something else to work on, Frank. I think that's uh, I think that's just you making unnecessary work for yourself by doing that. So I'm gonna I'm I'm not going to go there. Uh, that's what I was hoping because I just see those trees up down the street and I go, should I be doing that? You know, and I think I don't care if it's if it gets thick. It looks pretty to me, you know. 
You know, um, what people people need to realize is that these live oaks have been growing around here for hundreds of years, and for us to think that we can make them grow better, that's kind of a joke. Uh, I mean, we may want to we may want to prune them so that we can work around them. We can, you know, enjoy the space underneath them because in nature, you know, Mother Nature would have those limbs practically down to the ground to shade the root system. So we can change the shape of the tree a little bit to please us, but we're sure not helping the tree by getting out there and pruning on it. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you called. You're an observant guy. I'm glad you're a thinking man as well because uh, I can't think of really any reason that I would get carried away with trying to take those suckers off. Okay, and the last thing, I hope real quickly, uh, last, um, I guess you say last summer, I had those darn either grub worms or root rot, and I used both the uh, beneficial nematodes and uh, something else I used for the uh, root rot. But anyway, um, then I planted some winter rye, and it's growing pretty good in there. Uh, the, the place where the, where the uh, uh, carpet grass was killed, uh, it's still pretty much bare, and um, uh, leaves are on it. Should I? Is there anything I should do now to prepare for next summer and hopefully get that carpet grass back or Augustine I, back? If you haven't, if you haven't fertilized this fall, I definitely would fertilize because even though your grass is not going to grow a lot in the fall, it's storing up energy for the growth that it will make uh, in the spring. So that's about all I would suggest. The, the problem with grub worms is a lot of times there's a lot of damage done uh, before you see it because little grubs, and it's the tiny little grubs, first and second larval instars that cut the roots, and it's probably six weeks before the damage shows up. So a lot of folks see the damage, put the nematodes out, and then are surprised when they still have a lot of grass die. But the reason is because a lot of those roots have been cut before you got the stuff out to control the grub worm. So my my rule on grubs is watch for June bugs. If you start seeing June bugs around, they're flying around, laying the eggs, and uh, they'll do a lot of damage for you even though they're out there. So if I start seeing June bugs, I put out the beneficial nematodes. But uh, at this point, fertilizing is the number one thing. If you have the time and energy, putting a thin layer of compost out there would also help for next spring. But uh, uh, you don't want to put too much compost or it'll suppress the winter rye that you planted to have a little bit of green out there. So fertilizer is still going to be the main thing you want to do. Okay. And then uh, chances are that uh, Augustine will come back on its own then? or it, know, The, the stuff that is truly... Like yeah, the stuff that is truly dead is dead, but a St. Augustine runner can grow a foot in a week's time. So the areas where oh, wow. you still have good grass, they're going to spread into those dead patches very quickly. So uh, okay. my my rule is sort of if you have a dead patch that's more than, say, six feet in diameter, yeah, I go to a part area where you have good grass and I dig up just a little bit and transplant in there. But if you're just, you know, small dead areas here and there, they'll fill in so quickly in the spring you'll forget they were even they were even there. Okay, real good. Well, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. Talk well, to you it's later. My, it's my pleasure, Frank. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, Cindy's going to be up next, and then it'll be A.J. Uh, good morning, Cindy. Hi, honey. I called to ask about a tree. Someone told me one time that you can kill trees by copper nails, and so I bought copper nails a long time ago. I haven't put any in yet, but does that really work? Well, as copper oxidizes, it produces something called copper sulfate, which is a very toxic 
product. Um, um, I, I, I don't consider that to be a real effective way of killing trees. What do you have, hackberries, or what are you trying to kill? Yeah, hackberries. Hackberries. I, you can give it a try. That's a new one on me. I would wish you luck, but I'm not going to give you real high probability of success. But, you know, copper is one of those things that your body and a plant needs a little bit of. But if you add too much to it, then it becomes toxic. So, uh, I'd, it would hurt the soil. It, 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 it's not going to cause significant problems, but uh, and and it is something of a fungicide. But I tell you, if we're that easy, I think we'd be seeing a lot more a lot more copper used trying to kill the hackberries. But give it a try. If you already got the nails, you've got nothing you know, to the, lose. Those copper nails cost cost a little bit of money too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Hey, I was going to ask you also about a camphor plant I got in South Texas one time. I live in San Antonio. And uh-huh. where I don't know where I got it, but where can I get another one? Ah, uh, it's my phone or what? Yeah, um, if you, anybody in San Antonio, yeah, if anybody in it. San Antonio would have it, it probably would be Fanic Fanic's Nursery. They're they're ten okay. acres of nursery, and they have a lot of room to carry a lot of things. So uh, give Mark or Mike a call over there. Um, Phone number, if you need it, is 648 1303. That's 210 area code 210 648 1303. Yeah, I've got to go over there anyway. Yeah, they would be the most likely ones to have it here. Now, I keep hearing you talk about a fertilizer for the yard, for the grass. Now, what Uh what is an easy one for somebody like me that's never done it before? How do I do that? (laughs) What do I get this cheap and easy to do? Well, probably the most commonly available good lawn fertilizer is uh, one of the Medina products, like Medina's Growing Green is what it's called, G-R-O-W-I-N, Growing Green. Um, uh-huh. There's another one that I like very much by Nature's Creation, which is called just uh, Premium Lawn Food. And both uh-huh. of those are very good products. Uh, if your yard's small, you can just get out there and sling it out by hand. A lot of nurseries, uh, like we loan out fertilizer spreaders at no charge. If you have a big area to do, you just kind of push it around and, uh, you know, it slings the fertilizer out for you. But uh, nice thing about organics is they will never burn. Uh, they're totally non-toxic. Um, and so, uh, you know, if I had to pick my two top ones, it would be the Medina and the Nature's Creation. There's uh, one other company out there that makes real good organic fertilizers called Maestro Grow. Their products are just a little bit harder to find, but uh, they, they produce something they call Texas Tea, T-double-E. And any uh-huh. of those three, I've used all of them, and I like them all. Okay, Annie. Well, thanks a lot. You have a good weekend. You do the same, Cindy. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh-huh. Okay, let me get a break done here. AJ will be up next. I get to talk to you for a moment about Air Conditioning Service Company. You know, everybody, just about everybody, has an HVA system, heating and air conditioning. And there are a lot of companies out there that advertise a whole lot. And in all honesty, it seems like if you call them, all they want to do is sell you a new system. It's one reason I'm so happy to talk about Air Conditioning Service Company. And they do have wonderful new systems. Don't don't get me wrong. And uh, their new systems are very, very energy efficient. But their first priority is to help you keep that old system working and keep it working 
working safely. Fall's a very important time to get your system inspected for safety, both for fire safety and for carbon monoxide problems. These guys are honest. I've known the principals of the company for oh more years than I like to admit, and I'll tell you, their first priority is pleasing you and fixing your system. Now, when the day comes and it's time for a new system, you bet. They've got great systems, great installers, but uh, uh, they're not the kind that are that their sole purpose is to uh, replace what you have. They want to keep it running as long as possibly can, keep it operating safely, and keep you comfortable. I love their website, staycoolsa.com, if you want to check them out online. Better still, just give them a call, 210-796-9550. Tell them you need to get that fall checkup. That's Air Conditioning Service Company, 210-796-9550. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Actually, I have a couple of open lines. Uh, you know, we're cranking down. We're almost halfway through the last hour of the show for this week. So if you want to get through uh, this week, probably be a good time to dial 210-599-5555. We're going to talk to A.J. and then Louise. And A.J. is up first. Good morning, A.J. Good morning, sir. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I have five feet circle in my yard, which are grass seems to be dying okay there are three four of them in about uh, 100 by 90 feet bed of grass okay so what and should i do is How this st saint augustine grass bermuda grass what kind of grass is it saint augustine okay do the circles seem to be getting larger or or have they stayed about the same size they have stayed about the same size. Okay. You probably had some grubworm damage. The grubworms are probably gone now. So I don't think we need to be treating for a problem, but we want the grass to grow back into those dead circles as quickly as possible in the spring. So if you haven't fertilized this fall, I would fertilize and I'd do the whole yard. Especially in those circles, I'd get a bag or two of compost and just spread a you know very thin layer of compost over the area. Not a lot's going to change because grass doesn't grow a lot during cold weather. But uh, if you put out some fertilizer, put a, a layer of compost on the trouble areas, uh, it should fill in very rapidly when uh, when warmer weather gets here. All right, thank you, sir. You're welcome, sir. Thank you bye for bye. the call this morning. Have a good Sunday. Thanks, AJ. Goodbye. All right. Next up is Louise. Good morning, Louise. Good morning. Beautiful morning. Oh, it um, is a beautiful morning. Are you my Louise friend from Comfort from many, many years? Oh, yes. Okay. I was just going to say I haven't heard from you in a while. It's good to hear your voice. Well, thank you. It's always good to be listening to you, and I need your expertise on a yearly mowing plan for St. Augustine. I've heard that in in the spring you're supposed to scalp it and then you let it grow taller. And then I recently heard the final mowing should also be shorter than normal. So what's uh, what's your expert advice? Well, having mowed a lot of St. Augustine in my life, I feel like, yes, a fairly low mowing in the spring is good. 
especially if we've had a cold winter and you've got a lot of brown grass out there. I don't pick up the clippings. I just use a mower that chops them up and puts them back in the ground. But the reason to mow low in the spring is strictly for appearance's sake. It doesn't really help the grass to grow low, uh, to mow lower. And if we have such a mild winter that, you know, the saying Augustine has not frozen, then I don't feel that that low mowing is necessary. We never do what is called scalping. That's something they do up north with some of their different types of grasses. But since St. Augustine runners are right up on the surface of the ground, you never want to mow too low or you end up doing damage to your grass. Now, letting it grow higher in the spring and summer months, it conserves water. Actually, seems, uh, you know, counterintuitive, but it seems like that if you, you know, the taller it gets, the more water it would use. Uh, the reverse is the true, that taller grass actually uses less water than shorter grass. So yes, I definitely mow my St. Augustine higher in the summer months. But as far as cutting it back, no, I wouldn't cut it down in the winter because I, you know, we both lived here long enough to see some very cold winters. And if you cut your St. Augustine back, it's kind of like doing away with your winter blankets. You're, you're likely to get a little, a little cold if it, uh, the weather decides to get real cold. So, um, I, I pretty much leave it long and feel like that's just it's a little bit of wintertime insulation in case we do have one of what my grandfather used to call a blue norther where temperature drops very suddenly and drops very low so uh, my St. Augustine mowing is pretty easy if it freezes mow it low in the spring and then move back up to a higher level and uh, keep mowing pretty high all all summer long and start over the next year well, thank you. That's kind of what I thought, but um, I wanted to check with you to make sure. Well, that's what I would recommend, and uh, I appreciate your call this morning. Well, it's good to talk with you. Thank you. It's good to talk to you, Louise. Thank you. All right, next up is Richard. Good morning, Richard. Hello, Bob. Hi. Quick question for you. Between the house that only gets an hour of sun, uh, Calyptocarpus vialis, which I believe some people call horse herb or straggler daisy, Mm-hmm. has taken over and then there's a patch in the middle where it's dying out is is that uh, weather related or is there a disease that affects it it's no i've never seen horse herb is one of those things if you don't like it you call it straggler daisy if you like it you call it horse herb um it probably is a water issue it is very very drought tolerant but when it gets as dry as it has gotten uh you may have little patches of it uh you know, just decide to die out on you. And also, in the shade, it's always going to be a little bit uh, a little bit wimpier than it is out in the sun. It will grow in the shade, but it sounds like this is a really shady area in between there. And I think the grass is just a little bit weaker there, and it has probably gotten a little bit dry. I'm not aware of any insect or any disease that causes a problem to a horse herb. Okay, because it almost looks like it got sprayed with 20% vinegar, which kind of, kind of took me back, and it's been there for about four years. So, and there's all righty then. Well, I guess I'll give it no, a spritz of water and see what happens. Yeah, if if one little patch of it dies out, I can pretty much guarantee you it will spread in from the surrounding area. But uh, I, uh, gosh, I've had a lot of it. In fact, <laughs> in a dry year, I wouldn't have much of a yard if I didn't have it out there. But uh, and occasionally you'll see a little patch of it that. Uh, something or other just kills a plant or two here or there, but I'm not aware of any disease. I don't think it's anything that's going to spread. But uh, if we don't get rain, try to water it once a month or so since you're trying to maintain it, and I think you'd do fine with it. 
All right, thank you much. My pleasure, Richard. Thank you. Goodbye. Let's see here. Yeah, let's go ahead and take another call, and that would be Patty. Good morning, Patty. Hi, Bob. Um, Hi. I have a question about uh, a, a very, very large Chinese holly, and uh-huh. I'd like to know, I, I feel like I'm losing it. It's got a lot of dead branches, and it's really big, really thick, but can they die of old age? I mean, Where do you it live? Part, out in Chavano Park. Okay. Um, they don't really die of old age, at least I don't think so. I, you know, there was one in my grandfather's yard for in, in Dallas for, golly, I don't know how many years. But when you live in Chalavano Park, you don't have a lot of soil. And no, Chinese right. holly, the further it spreads its roots into our lousy, highly alkaline soils, the more unhappy those roots become. And so, you know, it's, it's um, gosh, I don't know how to really describe it, but it's one of those plants that when it's young, its root system is relatively small. It's probably confined to an area of soil that you have improved, and they will do well for a number of years. Now, if you lived in Houston or somewhere, you know, they'd probably live to be 100 years old. But what you're seeing, you know, is sort of a normal thing. Thing for Chinese holly. It's just just a plant that doesn't really like Chavano Park, doesn't really like the hill country in general. And so if you want to improve it, uh, good layer of compost over the top, uh, probably add some humates, give it a little extra fertilizing, but it's always going to struggle. The wider the root spread in the lousy soil that we put up with, uh, the less happy your Chinese holly is going to be. Now, if you chose a holly like the yopon or the possum haw, those things tolerate our alkalinity much better. But Chinese holly is a plant that truly loves a more acidic soil, a richer soil than we have in this area. Well, I guess the fact that I've kept it going for 40 years is significant. And it shows that you have one of the few patches of deeper soil in Chavano Park. <laughs> I don't know. So. I don't know. But, you know, there are times when it's almost easier to just say, okay, forget it. I'll just take it out and plant something else than to try to hassle the hassle of maintaining it and still having it look kind of scraggly. Oh, I totally agree with you, 100%. I feel the same way about red top photinia, about a whole lot of other plants. And quite frankly, I think sometimes it's good just, we just get a little tired of things sometimes. And uh, I think it's fun to just kind of revitalize your landscape with something a little new and different. And uh, I'm totally with you on that one, Patty. I just, uh, I, unless, I think you could spend... Unless you're married to someone who thinks... We put it there, it can just stay there. You know, you should never change anything. Oh, well, my gosh, the red tips that we have are the ugliest things you've ever seen, and I would take them out in a second if it wouldn't cause a divorce. Well, that's a road that I better not go down. I, uh, I, I happen to know a good veterinarian friend that really should have fewer oak trees in his yard, but because uh, for matrimonial bliss, let's say, um, a wise man will usually do what his wife wants. So, you know, you may have to drop a few hints around there and uh, and see if you can't persuade otherwise, but uh, or, or maybe just totally stop watering it and let it die completely, and then you won't have any choice. Oh, but, I just no. don't have the heart to do that. Oh, you know? I, I but know. Anyway, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, it I'm was so you, but... beautiful for so many years, 
and I just look at it as it's got new dead branches and keep uh-huh. cutting those out and, you know, hoping it will recover, but it probably won't. It gets fertilized with Medina, but probably uh-huh. not often enough. And I even thought about buckets of Super Thrive, but then I'm also 80 and probably can't crawl under that shrubbery. So, you know. <laughs> Well, Super Thrive will help. Medina will help. Um, but nothing but will fix it. Uh, you know, it's it, it. nothing is going to make it look like it did when it was a youth, so to speak. And uh, that's a sad thing to say. But, um, well, that's the same for all of us. I, exactly. But, no, it's it's nothing you have done or failed to do. But just in, you know, full disclosure, as they say, it's it's age-related, but it also has lived a very tough life because it's lived in such a rough neighborhood when it comes to the soil. I guess would be a good way to put it. You've done well with it if you've enjoyed it for 40 years. I think it's about time for something else. Okay. All right. I thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, and you have a wonderful day, and we'll talk again. Patty. And you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, let me get my uh, my commercial break out of the way here. Sid and James will be my next two callers. I get to talk about the Tank Depot. And I tell you what, I know a lot of people that put in good rainwater catchment tanks, and uh, even with limited rain, like that inch and a half of rain, two inches of rain most of us had in uh, back in September, you know, my business partner collected, what, three, 4,000 gallons of rainwater, which she's still using. It's amazing how much water you can collect and store from even a relatively small rainfall event. I have a friend way up in the hill country that he has a lot of good tanks, never run out of rainwater. He lives entirely on rainwater, didn't even have a well. And uh, it's just something worth looking into. When you're making some changes, as we all are in life right now, rainwater catchment system's a good idea. And if you're going to do rainwater, catchment you need to know about the tank depot because they are the pros when it comes to tank not just rainwater tanks they've got bait tanks open top tanks chemical transfer tanks they've got all kinds of tanks but the greatest selection of rainwater catchment tanks you've ever seen all sizes all top quality all very very reasonable prices and they have all the accessories you need to they'll get you help help set your rainwater system up they don't do gutters but they do just about everything else. Tank Depot, just great people with good products. They can deliver, and uh, they're just, you know, they're open. Weekdays are over on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue, and they welcome you to come over and check out all the tanks they have. But they have access to even more than that. So check out their website sometime, tank-depot, D-E-P-O-T, tank-depot.com, and see where the best rainwater catchment tanks and all the other tanks come from. They come from the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. My next two callers are Sid and James. I probably have time for another caller or two, so if there's a question you haven't gotten in yet, you better do it quickly, and you know the number, 210-599-5555. And I say good morning, Sid. Well, good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, it's too late to plant garlic. No. No, it would have been better to get it planted in October, but uh, I, it's certainly not too late. You know, we're still having October weather, so I would not hesitate to plant some garlic. I'd get it in as quickly as you can, but, uh, you know, even in Candelia, I think you're fine to plant some garlic now. Okay, and on onions, uh, how's the best way to 
to prepare the ground and to fertilize them during their growth? Good questions. Um, Onions will grow in almost any soil. Uh, They do like soil that drains well, and onions are heavy feeders. So when I'm planting onions, which I'll probably do this week, uh, I'm going to work in a good deal of dry organic fertilizer before I plant. Uh, I'm going to figure that's going to get them off to a real strong start. And But, you know, it's after they've been in a month or six weeks, I'm going to start about every other week. I'm going to follow up with a liquid fertilizer, probably like grow or something like that, because uh, onions really do, you know, need, need fertilizing if you want to have nice big onions. Um, I do it a little differently from some people. I plant my onion plants pretty close together. Uh, and because I, I enjoy green onions, and I also enjoy the little bitty onions. I, I like something besides just your great big bulb onions. So I'm going to plant my onions uh, maybe an inch apart. But after they've been growing for about six weeks, I'm going to go through and probably pull out every other one and eat. Uh, about six weeks later, I'll go through again and pull out every other one. So now I've got my onions about three to four inches apart, and then I'll just leave them be and let them make those great big bulbs. But, you know, if all you want is big onions, go ahead and spread them out a little further when you plant them. Go ahead and plant them three or four inches apart. But uh, uh, it's strictly up to you. Onions are just a super successful crop, and... Uh, I've got a, a lot of friends. Uh, the strangest thing, they all want me to bring them onions, but they never bother, never volunteer to come over and pull weeds. So <laughs> I may have to get after some of them, but it's a great time. The onion plants are in the nurseries now. Uh, the one other thing I would tell you is don't waste your time with what they call sets. And a lot of people mistakenly confuse onion plants and onion sets. Onion sets are little bulbs that have been interrupted in growth, and they're just kind of like a little bulb of some sort. I've planted them, and I have yet to ever produce decent onions from those things. I buy the bundles of plants, and I get good onions every year. Now, uh, another thing on the garlic. I've heard people say that you can just buy it at the grocery store, but... Is that been irradiated or something that causes it not to grow? It usually is flash frozen. Um, I don't know that they irradiate it, but uh, I I buy it sometimes from the store, but I'm either going to buy it from natural grocers or Whole Foods. Uh, this day and time, I, I generally like uh, natural grocers a little better because their prices are so much more reasonable. But uh, Or I'll get it from uh, HEB in their organic section. So I would specify organic garlic if you're going to buy it from the grocery store. But uh, uh, they, yes, they sometimes treat it to keep it from sprouting. But it's usually a, a cold chill treatment rather than a radiation. Uh, do you still have garlic? I think think we do um call the nursery line uh, yeah we're open now so call and ask wendy or whoever or donna whoever answers the phone but i i know we had it yesterday but we also had the busiest november day we've ever had yesterday <laughs> so i'd have to go out and look i truly hope there's still some out there because i haven't gotten as much planted as i want to plant so uh i think we still have some and uh do you still have plenty of onions uh, onions just came in this week. We've just started getting onions, so uh, we should have plenty of onions all the way up through the first of the year. Again, sometimes we'll have one customer come in and buy a large quantity, so if you're driving all the way into town just to do that, call first and uh, even let us set them aside for you. Okay. Now, uh, 
uh, I was looking at the Dixondale uh, brochure, uh-huh. and they recommend to use uh, ammonium sulfate, and I know that that's probably not going to be your recommendation. <laughs> well, you got that exactly right. I use, uh, usually it's growing green. That's just what we have most of, and I get the broken bags, so I don't criticize the guys, the guys too heavily if they get careless with the forklift. It just means more, more fertilizer for my yard. But I grow a good onion. You might grow a little bit bigger onion with ammonium sulfate, but you're destroying your soil, and I don't think you'll have nearly the flavor you have with a good organic fertilizer. So uh, that's what, like I say, I, I will work a, a good amount of, well, that or either the Nature's Creation Premium Lawn Food, which is also 100% organic, of course. But I think it's important, and I do the same thing even if I were still a chemical gardener uh, I'd be I'd be following up with uh, additional fertilizings uh, because you know onions grow for several months I won't be pulling the big onions till probably June and so at least once a month and if I've got the time every two weeks I'll go hit them with some liquid has to grow or uh, Medina's liquid fish product and uh, uh, anyway, you, you call Dr. Kirby if you want a recommendation on my onions sometimes because uh, uh, he, he, he does everything short of begging for him, and I have to keep my veterinarian happy, so I have to grow lots of onions. Now, uh, they, they also mention about uh, diseases that onions get. What are the mm-hmm. diseases that they get? I've never had a problem with disease. I occasionally, um, if you don't keep them properly watered, you will get some thrips insect on them, uh, just as you can on your garlic. But um, I think the diseases are mainly induced by using ammonium sulfate. <laughs> I think when you stay organic, you don't, you don't, ha- I, I've never had a problem with disease. I say I'm knocking on wood as I say that. But, uh, you know, the, the synthetic fertilizers tend to stimulate a lot of disease-causing organisms. And uh, I think to stay organic, I've, I've never seen a disease on my onions. Very good. Uh, last question. I have a, a rose, a uh, knockout rose, that is in a, uh, about of a third of a plastic barrel, 55-gallon okay. plastic barrel. Uh-huh. And it's been in there for several years. And it's gotten to the point where it doesn't want to drain, so I think it's probably so root-bound, and the roots have probably grown through the holes that I put in the bottom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that's a possibility? It's a possibility, but I'll tell you, knockout roses take more water than any other rose I've ever grown. I don't, I don't even grow them anymore because I just don't get around to watering them often enough. But um, I, what I would do is simply get out there with my drill and drill some more holes in there. If uh, and it is certainly possible if you put holes in the bottom of the container only, the roses probably rooted through those holes, and it may very well have blocked them up, but I always put some roses in the side of the, I mean, some holes in the side of the pot when I'm going to be growing anything like roses, or really, for that matter, anything else, because uh, sometimes just setting a pot on a slick concrete surface will seal it up, so I like going, you know, not way up, but half an inch up the side of a container like that, and uh, put a few extra holes in, and I'd, I'd do that, and if indeed the problem is, uh, you know, the bottom hole's been plugged, that's the easiest way I know to solve it. Well, I know whenever I water it, uh, water stands in there quite a while, and I think yeah. that's probably because it's been plugged up. Yeah, get your drill out, and 10 minutes from now, you'll have it all taken care of. Very good. Well, 
Thank you, Bob, and uh, we'll be by to see you sometime later part of the week. I always look forward to it, Sid. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome.